Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, this is uh, Brandon and Evan, our podcast number two. Hello. So, yeah, I'm super excited to do this next podcast. I had a lot of fun the first time. Yeah, uh, the last one, what did that one clock in? Like 80, 80 some odd minutes? Yeah, 80 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that was, that was longer than I think either of us <laughs> were expecting. But uh, but it was good. Yeah, it was good. At least we think so. Yeah, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think anybody who's tuning in and they're going back to the first podcast can kind of see that everything starts from humble beginnings. And I think that, you know, I think that, you know, even when I wrote my first blog, it actually surprisingly got um, compared to a lot of the other blogs I wrote, which were substantially better than my first one. That first blog actually got a lot of, you know, a lot of views and a lot of followers and a lot of things just because I think that's, I just put it out there. I said, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm going to start this blog. Um, I'm a little bit scared. I don't know, you know, exactly how to do this. And people can relate to that because... And you know, well, it, it, I guess it goes to that old wisdom that, uh, that so many teachers and mentors and writers and people have talked about is like, you just, you just start, like you just have to start somewhere like, Mm -hmm. and have, have that, that idea and, and go. Yeah, totally. And I mean, ever since, I mean, and it's, and if anyone on the other line, I mean, we do this weekly currently, that's our thing. So, you know, it's been one week. Um, and in one week, you know, I feel substantially more comfortable doing this next podcast. I feel more relaxed right off the top, you know, and all that. And I think the first one, I'm just like, okay, let's just see what happens. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that was probably part of the, uh, part of what our apprehension was on the first one was like, Oh, what, what is this going to be? What are we going to even talk about? Yeah. And I think we're starting to figure out a, sort of what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, uh, I think, um, you know, I think when I think about what we talked about last time, which is a lot about this script and, and how we originally wrote this, uh, horror film, the townsfolk for money and all that. And, um, how it came more about the integrity of the story. And I think that's the big thing that, that really our blog is probably going to be about, which is, uh, you know, I, I just kind of thought the term like artistic integrity or creative integrity or something along those lines, you know, um, because I think that's really what it's about. Uh, you know, it's about what's, you know, what do we want to create? What's our art, but what's the integrity, you know, of us behind what we, we put into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think those are, are things that are actually inseparable now that you talk about it. I mean, art and integrity or creative integrity. I mean, I, I feel like for it to truly be art or for it to truly be some, uh, a creative thing, there has to be integrity mm. involved in it. Because if there isn't, if you have no integrity with this thing that you are creating, then I don't know, is it even really original then at that point? Is it really actually from you or like what, oh, yeah. what are you actually creating? You know, it's then? interesting you bring that up because I wasn't even thinking about integrity in that, in that sense. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's, I think this is one of those things where I'm realizing, as you said that, that this whole, even this word integrity and creative integrity or artistic integrity or whatever it is, is something that I, I think that you and I are going to discover more as we go. At least I know for myself, because I can tell right now, I'm like, yeah, like I'm not even like, I don't even know if I grasped the whole idea. I think we're just kind of venturing into this thing and it's, it's neat because I'm thinking, yeah, like 
part of part of my integrity, and I think your integrity and why we work well together, is that we want to do something truly original and something that actually, you know, isn't just about making money or you know whatever. Obviously, it will do that, but something that actually impacts the audience and something that we can be proud of, you know. And um, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, by us having this discussion, anyone on the other side who's listening to this, um, you know, my hope. And that's what I thought about over the week is like, yeah, if I could help people or we could help people to have more integrity in their work and to be more original and to trust themselves more, I thought, wow, that would be an amazing service. You know, that would be amazing help. Yeah. Or at least to, to perpetuate some of these ideas. Right. You know, um, uh, I remember I saw this talk about someone saying that like, no, no idea really truly comes from any one individual necessarily. Um, on, and and it gets, it's maybe a little bit esoteric, a little bit philosophical, but to a degree, I agree with it Hmm. in that they said, well, without in all of humanity, without all of civilization, you know, something like the iPhone doesn't exist. Yeah. The iPhone exists as a product of us, right? Of all of us, because we all collectively wanted something like this. Yeah. They didn't just create this and say, oh, well, I don't know, it was a shot in the dark and people liked it. It's like, no, 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 no. People collectively, we were sort of calling out for something like that and yeah. they and they created it. What's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, um, especially with all this sci-fi writing that I've been doing recently and, you know, you start to have these conversations about sci-fi and you start to look into sci-fi and all this. But you realize, like, sci-fi to me, science fiction is like one of those things that I I really appreciate it because the iPhone and anything really, even, you know, they're making like floating skateboards and stuff now, right? Yeah. It's absolutely anything, something like a lot of this stuff comes from creativity, you know, and that's the beauty of, of creativity. When you go and you try something and then people go, that'd be really cool if that was in, in real life. And then people go, Hey, why don't we try and make that? Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So I think like when you talk about the iPhone, for example, um, there was some, kind of creative element that first introduced the idea and as impossible as people might have thought of it at the time technology moves along and now we go well hey actually that's pretty doable like you know what i what i and 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 it had its own humble beginnings right well mark my words you know i also like touchscreen right we got touchscreen now that's pretty amazing everybody's like touchscreen right yeah but i i believe that eventually we are going to interact with stuff in in a hologram so, like, we'll be watching TV in 3D, and it will be something that you can almost, like, be in. Or, you know, you'll look at your watch, and it will be, you'll, maybe it'll be a button, it'll probably be touchscreen, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you can hit it, and it will pop up 3D in front of you, so you don't have to look at your watch, you can look at the hologram, it's popping up in front of you. And I don't know if everybody else can see this thing, and, you know, if you, you know, there'll probably be ways in which you might make it so it's not so visible to everyone else, but it'd be kind of neat. You know, I really think we'll probably be interacting with stuff because they're already touching on that in technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely they are. And this stuff comes from creativity. I mean, look at Star Wars, right? Like, I mean... Uh, you haven't... Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. Okay. Let's not discuss. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> we won't discuss. I've got my tickets for Boxing Day. Mm. I plan to see it, though. Probably more than once. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like, uh, whatever people think about the story, from what I've seen it from just a production side of things, I respect it already. doesn't yeah. matter. You know, even if the story is not the strongest or even if they didn't take a lot of risks or whatever, and I've heard some chatter around about people like... But the thing is, is I think with something like Star Wars too, you have to think, if you go in with expectations that are through the roof, 
you're, you're not making it fair for the movie, right? I mean, when we watched the first Star Wars, you know, or when people did, you know, they, there was, there was a, okay, they were open to this, right? But I think once you raise the bar of expectation, you just set yourself up for disappointment. I think you need yeah. to go back into it with a little bit of like, okay, we are revamping this whole series again. We're, we're going to start over. And yeah. I think you need to give it that openness, you know? And I think that, like like you said, obviously having not seen the film, but having, you know, devoured the trailers to a degree. I haven't tried to, I haven't overwatched them, but yeah. I have watched them a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a thing, and, and it's one of the things I respect about J.J. Abrams. You can say whatever you want about the lens flares and his own panache. But, you know, a lot of directors have that. Like Steven Spielberg, like, he loves to fill all of his scenes with smoke. Right. Like, it's just sort of one of his signatures. Uh, honestly, go and watch any of his movies, and you'll be like, yeah, everything looks kind of hazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's this sort of this depth to it, and he does that intentionally. Yeah. Um, and J.J. does his thing. But, yeah, again, that's that's a pure aesthetics point. So I know. Tony Scott was always blue. That was his thing. If you look oh. at all his movies, he always has a blue hue to everything. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That was his thing. Anyway. Yeah, and you'll find that everybody <laughs> kind of has that. And yeah. you have, like, the iconics. Uh, but... Uh, getting back to uh, JJ, mm-hmm. uh, I always think that he he is a guy who has integrity in all of the projects that he takes on, and and you can see it. Mm-hmm. There's a quality to his films where you're like, yeah, like whatever you think about it, there was something that he tried to do that mm-hmm. he thought was important. And from the trailers that I've seen for Star Wars, I'm like, yeah, he went and he like to me it spoke of the very first one watching that trailer like the way that it looked mm. you know the way that that he shot it like from that from everything i was like wow yeah he he grabbed onto the things that he thought were crucial mm. that were so important to the magic of star wars and he made sure that that came across mm. He did, yeah. You know, I like I like how you use that word magic because I think that's you know when it comes to the production side of things. I mean, I saw some of the I guess they're animatronics. You know, like in one of the things they were in a ship or something, and they actually uh, it mechanically moved. So the actors are being swung around in this in real life. You know, they're they're actually uh, physically feeling what it would be like to be moved over. And yeah. so I think like just doing stuff like that. That's the fun of making movies. I mean, that's why I got into movies, you know? And I think, um, you know, we, we have so much techno technological advancement. We can do so many visual effects and things like that. Um, but when we go back to the mechanics and we go back to the physical world and we play with that, I think, you know, I can always respect that. Yeah. I don't think that's something we should lose no matter how far we get ahead, uh, with these visual effects. I think we should always consider if we can do stuff like that, why not? Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, it, the more real you can do, I think the better there are, it does have its limitations, which is where, you know, CG steps in. Yeah. But, uh, there is like there, I, CG still has not reached that level of completely making me believe that it's real, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and, I even saw something, what did I watch recently? Oh yeah, I watched, uh, I watched Fast and Furious 5. Okay. So that was like the first of like the Justin Lin versions of Fast and Furious and I've never watched any of them because I know they're complete 
You never watched? No, no I've I've seen I I've seen the first one, which is still my favorite. Okay. And kind of near and dear to my like juvenile heart. Um, yeah, we were teenagers. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but what they did, like, they just kind of made them like all out, like crazy, over the top action films. Yeah. And you kind of got to take them for what they are. But one of the things I did appreciate was that there were sequences of that film where they were really just smashing a shit ton of cars. Right. <laughs> like they were just, they were actually doing it, actually just ripping cars around. They didn't use CG. And I appreciated that because mm. you can tell, right? Like you can tell that they actually went through that effort. And there's something that, yeah, I think that, it's nice to see that there's a movement back towards that again, yeah. you yeah. know, to be like, yeah, you know what? We've tried the whole thing with CG and CGing like entire car chases and stuff like that, but it just is not as effective. No, you know, it's interesting um, because when you, when you take just a little bit of, of physical world creativity and then you combine it with the visuals of, you know, um, these visuals, the thing is that this, uh, uh, visual effects, what I'm trying to say, you know, it actually enhances the visual effects because like there is a certain amount of, it's not like, I don't know if you ever saw, I really liked this show and it got canceled, unfortunately. And maybe some people didn't like it, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. I really liked the, the bad guy, but that show B they revamped. Did you remember seeing that? Um, V, which basically where aliens have they're they're in human bodies oh, and okay. they've been sleepers for for years I don't know, decades i'm not sure right and so now they've come and aliens have landed and uh all the people are kind of like you know what's going on they have all this technology and some people are actually these aliens and they don't know it and this alien race is actually looking to do a takeover without the people realizing but they're acting like they're friends which is a really great idea but one of the things that was kind of um <laughs> but <laughs> well this is one of the things is like in, in its budget constraints and whatever, but their, their spaceship, you know, like a lot of it was really visual effects and it kind of, it took away from it. But, you know, um, it was interesting because I have found that when, when the acting or the drama or the thing that's going on is so compelling, I've noticed that a lot of the time I don't even notice visual effects are happening. So it goes to show that, you know, when it's when it's a scene about the acting, I think that the visual effects kind of fill things in. But when it's a scene about the action, the visual effects become more of the focus. And so I think that's yeah. when it's actually a lot better to do the mechanical thing. You know? Yeah. No. I. Yeah, I agree. I think you you touch on a lot of great points there. Whereas, like, first for me, like, I when I what I grabbed onto there was, yeah, storytelling is still first and foremost, because there's so much, if I, if there's a great story happening in front of me and great characters, I can forgive so much, Mm. you know, like I will forgive that, you know, it's like, oh, you didn't have like the hugest budget to like fill in this sequence behind you. It doesn't matter, you know, but yeah, when, when you're making a film where suddenly the focal point is just on the spectacle of it, then that's when it starts to get a little bit dangerous because that's what you want me to be looking at. Yeah. That's all I'm looking at. Exactly. So, so I have an interesting point I wanted to bring up. So one of I'll my, be the one judge of, of that. Okay. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite movies that has ever been made, Wolf on Wall Street. I think it's an amazing movie. Okay. There's a visual effect in it 
that a lot of people... Evan's nodding, by the way, he agrees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a fantastic film. Fantastic <laughs> film. Oh, so good, oh. right? So the performances right. are amazing, the story's amazing, whatever. Maybe some people don't like, don't like it, whatever. But you have to admit, it was a really well done story, okay? And I don't know, a lot of people don't realize this, and I didn't realize this until later... Was that? Do you remember the time where they're on the ship and they're like they're in uh, they're in Europe somewhere? I don't remember where exactly. Oh yeah, I think they're like south of France or something like that. Or right, and they're on this big yacht, yeah. and and you look around them, it's so beautiful and whatever. But you just focused on the things that they're talking about. All everything outside of the ship is all visual effect. They were in a green screen. Uh, studio. They had a ship in a studio, and everything in the background behind them was filled in visual effects. They were not actually on a ship in this canal. And you know, when you th- and and maybe some people that's obvious, but for me at the time, uh, I just remember not even being concerned about that. It wasn't even like a whether it is visual effects or not visual effects. It wasn't even. It didn't matter because the story was so compelling. And so if you think about that. What would it have taken to get the ship there, to get the actors there, to do the scene in the middle of this canal with this background and that light and that sun and all that other stuff versus just put it in a studio, put them actually on the ship, which is the only thing that really matters physically, and then the actors are actually acting on the thing that matters. What's around them, they fill in with their imagination. And as an audience member, you don't really notice a difference because it doesn't matter. And that's like where visual effects, I think, become really magical because they're at the point where you don't even know there's a visual effect there, mm-hmm. you know? But, and I, I, I've watched enough movies where I'm willing to go like, oh, okay, I realize this is a visual effect. I'm willing to put that to, to the side. And I think for like maybe the the average, um, and, and when I say average, the average viewer of a movie where they don't really break down how a movie's actually technically made, for them, it's probably less, less of a deal. And that's, that's good. I I don't know. I'd have to ask for me, for someone who's making films all the time and always, especially more and more working with visual effects. Um, I notice this stuff a lot of the time. And so when they kind of do it so well, where it doesn't matter to me, I I, like, I kind of applaud that because I think, wow, like that's, that's just really well done. You know, that's like, uh, you know, and, and, um, I think that's, I think that's the thing, you know, and we come back to J.J. Abrams here, there's that physical world that matters, and then everything else around, you know, these other things around are filled in, but that's fine, it doesn't matter, because, you know, at least from the bits of the trailer I've seen, they've looked amazing, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and I can tell, like, obviously, there's visual effects going on here. But... Yeah, and, and I know they, t- they started teasing that early on, right, like, early, early on, I remember, like, the first video that J.J. Abrams posted in terms of, like, like it was like the first day of shooting mm-hmm. or something. They were in the desert somewhere and he had done something and he's like, Hey everybody, it's Jay and it was like this cheeky little thing and there was like some kind of an animal like in behind just walking across. Yeah. And it was this whole thing like animatronics. Like, we're bringing animatronics back, guys, because people started losing their minds. Yeah. They're just like, oh, my God, it's not CG. He's actually got this thing, like, walking across here. Well, so it was one of those things that was obviously, it was important to him yeah. that we went, that, like, he went back and did that. I almost said we went back. But in in a way, I almost feel that way. Yeah. Star Wars belongs to the people yeah. <laughs> at this point, you know? You know, it, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think, well, and that's, a, you know, it's another thing, and uh, just the inclusiveness of the whole thing. You know, it's one thing about J.J. Um, Abrams, in a sense, is, like, when you become a fan of the show or whatever he creates, 
he does almost kind of create a tribe out of it, you know? And I think that, I mean, you know, that's probably why part of the reason why he's so successful and, and one of the top people right now, because when he makes Star Trek, when he made Lost, when he made whatever, you know, you kind of become included, you know? And, uh, and it's the way in which there's, um, I don't, it's like, you don't really know like, especially Lost, I think about that, right? Yeah. It's like, you don't really know what's going on. And, um, when I remember before I watched Lost, I remember life before Lost and life after Lost. <laughs> <laughs> and life before Lost was kind of like, you know, people would talk about it and they'd be like, yeah, it's really cool. And blah, blah, they couldn't really explain it. But then when you were in it and you watched the show and you kind of, you like felt like you were a part of something and, um, and, and then, you know, all, if you, if you yeah. get in, as involved as you wanted, but the fan forums and stuff and people just run with it, you know what I mean? And I, I think, um, that's why he's probably one of the best people right now to even be behind Star Wars because, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, like, just imagine you're going to take on pretty much arguably the biggest franchise in the entire world, the most popular thing that's like pretty much ever been created in, in, in media. Yeah. And you're supposed to hit everybody's expectations. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that would be an intimidating undertaking. Totally. Like it would be, I, I can't even imagine. I, I get why, because he didn't even want to do it at first. Right. You know, when Disney bought Star Wars and people were throwing his name around and he had responded like, no, like I've done, I'm, I'm doing Star Trek and like that was a whole thing just trying to get into that universe and do justice to that universe. I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, when I think about Star Trek, right, like he made Star Trek for me, he made it really cool. Like Star Trek and, you know, used to be that there was Trekkies and Trekkies were kind of the nerds and whatever. Right. And I, and I watched a bit of Star Trek when I was a kid and you know, most of the kids who were really like fans of Star Trek, you're usually the nerds, right? Yeah. Which is fine. But when the when J.J. Abrams took Star Trek, it became like especially um, and I, I don't know who who wrote it or or how much he had over that. But the way they made um, Captain Kirk, you know, they made him cool. They made him relatable. They made him flawed, and they didn't make it so like um, they kind of gave you these beginnings. And wherever they take the show, now it's kind of cool. And you know, for example. They like, cast it really well, too. Yeah, they cast it really well. Well, for example, you know, um, this is probably going to sound funny, but if you were to tell a really cute girl, a really hot girl, that you were a Trekkie back when I was in high school, you know, she'd probably be like, for the most part, this is at least where I grew up. I, yeah. I don't know. I can't. Yeah, no, no, I'm no. I, I, I can probably, uh, I could probably say something similar to you. So yeah, continue. It was nerdy, right? Yeah. <laughs> even, even Star Wars was a bit nerdy, but it was more, it was more like, okay, well there's these, you know, it's kind of action, whatever. But now, you know, I know, I know many women who were never into sci-fi who ever since that came out, they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And I think that that's a testament to like how, revamping something and making it a little bit more original, you know, can, can really do some, some wonders. But when I think about taking on Star Wars, it's, that's not something you really revamp in a way, why we wanted him to do it was because he was bringing it back to where it was because the, the last three movies that were made before this one, in, in my, in my opinion, kind of went off track. Jar Jar Binks, what the hell was happening there? You know what I mean? (laughs) But... (laughs) You know, so I, I mean, I don't know. I granted, I haven't seen the movie, but from what they presented to me, it seems a lot more like the original concept, which is 
what I really liked about Star Wars. I liked the, yeah. you know, and I think with the the last three that were made, um, and granted, you know, the the story is the way it is, but it's almost like the grittiness of the technology in the first one. You know how, like when when George Lucas was working with such limited technology, it made it better in a way because. Um, you know, the focus was the storytelling yeah. and the characters of which they were fantastic characters and a fantastic storyline. Mm-hmm. When you really think about it, when you kind of see, like, go past all of the, uh, I don't know how to put it, all of, like almost like the legend of it all. You know, sometimes when you watch Star Wars, you, you kind of don't even look at it with an objective view. Like, yeah. because it's just, it's Star Wars, right. you know, it's just, it's so iconic that it's almost, in some ways, it's almost like a parody of itself in a yeah. way. Totally. I don't know if that's the right, the, I don't I'm know. putting it the right way, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you kind of, you, you, you forget to actually look at it as a piece of storytelling. Well, you know, if you look at, if you look at Star Wars and, uh, you know, in case there is someone out there who hasn't seen Star Wars, I don't want to ruin anything for them, but there's some twists, you know, there's, there's drama and there's uh, certain, certain things that you discover, you know, like the Luke and Leia whole thing, the thing with Vader and, and all that, you know, like in the family and, and yeah. things that are going on that way. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements that are, you know, especially for the time. Yeah. Really well done as a story. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? And now if you copy that, it is so cliche and it's, it's, it is kind of a parody, but you got to think at the time that was original. And I think that nobody had seen anything like that before. Right. And that's why I want to bring back our conversation to that point right now is that that's what I think you and I are really after, you know, in, in, when we write these scripts is, and you know, humble beginnings, you know, we're doing our best to try and create something original, but I think that's what this is all about is how do we do something today that's truly original that nobody's seen before. And, you know, there's a, I don't remember who this guy was, but he's kind of a joke of history, but he said everything that's already been learned or everything has already been learned already. Yeah. He said this thing, right? And so it's kind of a joke of history because it's like to think that we've learned everything is just so yeah. mind mind numbingly or dumb, that, you know, or that like every story or every say. story has already been told basically. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there are certainly similarities. There's common themes to mm-hmm. storytelling through the ages, you know, like, yeah. it's like, yeah, I, I to, there is some truth to it, but it's not that black and white because if it was that black and white, then why do we continue to make new films? Why do we continue to write new books? Why do we continue to make new plays and, and continue to do these things? And as a society, it's because, well, no, we haven't told every story. There's so much, like it, there's so much complexity to all of it that hasn't been, been discussed, that hasn't been presented and uncovered and told. So let's get into, let's get into those things. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, so yeah. And, uh, before we do, I want to talk about the beer that we have. Oh yes. Yeah. So what did you get? This was, this is your, this was my, uh, my choice today and you haven't had this one yet, Evan. I haven't. No, you haven't okay. because it's an, it's a new one unless you went to 33 acres, which is where I got it from. Okay. Um, it's called 33 acres of Rufus. Of Rufus. Yeah. So this is a Belgian red ale. 
Mm. And its alcohol is 8.0. Oh, all <laughs> so right. It's it's up there with it's, our uh, uh, Euphoria, which is 9.2. It is saucy. Yeah, um, but it's delicious, and it's another one of those ones that you don't notice is going to get you. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, shout out to 33 Acres again this, this week. Um, they treat you like family, and the beer is delicious. <laughs> all right, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Um, oh yeah, local like local brewery in Vancouver. By the way, if uh, you didn't tune into our first blog, I do over like on Eighth in Ontario. Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, you like it? Yeah, I do. It's good, right? Yeah, I do. It's smooth too. <laughs> they had another one with uh, with uh, it had a bit more of a bite, um, and it's another Belgian one, I think, um, which uh, we can try another day. But anyway, um, so okay, let's talk about this. I think the thing with creativity and artistic integrity or whatever is, I think that we really have to embrace the idea of not knowing, because I think that's I think that's what this all comes back down to is like, you know, if you think that you know you kind of stop, you stop looking, you know what I mean? And so I think that, uh, one of the, th- one of my favorite things about while we're writing a script or we're creating something off the blank page is just to kind of go like, okay, well, I have this reference over here. I have this reference over here, but you know, what if we kind of took these things and we tried doing this, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, just so I can kind of like explain my point a little bit, you know, one thing I noticed, one of the scripts that has gotten financing that I wrote is about an undercover cop, right? And I just wanted, and, and, and the undercover cop story is not that original. I mean, that's a pretty cliche common thing in a way, right? But I always wanted to tell a story like that. And I wanted to do a more modern day one. And so I wrote this script from the perspective of, you know, let's talk more about the personal life of the undercover cop. Like what's his life like undercover and what are the people he cares about? How are they affected? And what's their life like? And every draft I revise becomes more interesting because I start, I started, especially as the drafts continued on I go, what's it like for the criminals? What are their lives like? You know, as opposed to making this good guy, bad guy, whatever thing, you know, there's action and, and all that stuff in it. I mean, you read the latest draft, mm-hmm. right? But um, was kind of to look into more the interpersonal element of it. And I, I found that, you know, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from it because people are very interested in that stuff, you know? And I find like, there's probably other movies that are out there, but the interpersonal element is something that's not really been that explored, right? Whereas the external action, car chase, fight scene, you know, all that stuff has been explored a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we make countless movies like that. You know, I say we as just creatives, right? Yeah. But I think that's what it is. You know, for me, um, what I discovered with that script was like, yeah, why not, why not tell a story that's common, but tell it in a way or, or look at it in a way that most people aren't looking at it. And all of a sudden it becomes original, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and that's, and I think we talked a little bit about this last, last week was, uh, was expectations. You know, we all have expectations, especially when we go and see a genre film. Like mm-hmm. I would say, you know, like a, uh, an undercover cop is almost a sub-genre film unto itself. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a undercover yeah. undercover cop movie, yeah. right? <laughs> so you, you immediately have these ideas of what you think it's going to be and what you think is going to happen, Yeah. right? And in a way, that can work to your benefit yeah as as someone who's writing the story or making the story mm-hmm. because you can 
be aware of those expectations and then completely fly against it. Yes, totally. Right? And yeah. and now you've done something, yeah, you're still you're still doing an undercover cop movie or whatever whatever it might be. But now you've done something that nobody has seen before with it. You know what's interesting, Evan, is uh as I've been revising the draft and you were there at the last table room we did, is um you know, and getting all the feedback, especially from the women who are watching it and finding out more about, you know, people were really interested in what the women's life was like in relation to this criminal world and the undercover cop and stuff like that and fleshing out those characters. And, you know, if you look at the traditional cop drama, cop thriller or whatever, you don't really, it doesn't tend to have as much, at least in my experience of, and I've seen a lot of it, it's usually very male focused and it doesn't really talk too much about that other stuff. And I guess the question is, is are people interested in that? And I think that, you know, maybe before, like maybe in the 80s and 90s, that isn't what people were interested in. But I'm finding that the shift of consciousness for creativity, people are a lot more interested in the the whole picture. And also not just the women, but the criminals. Like what what is their personal life like? You know, because traditionally you look at a lot of these movies and the bad guys are the bad guys and the good guys are the good guys and sometimes you got corrupt police and they're bad guys too and whatever but nobody's really understood and nobody understands why why does a cop go corrupt you know what i mean like like that's an interesting question like what like it's not like like that that cop that went corrupt right was at one point a, a little kid who you know had dreams and ambitions and all this innocence and what happened along the way where they decided hey i'm gonna take a little money here. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to whatever, you know, and that's a story that we're not always telling, but it's a really fascinating story. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? I mean, I know you've, you've shared some things. I remember you were telling me like, well, what if you told the story from someone's perspective that isn't normally covered, you know? So like in the undercover cop, sorry, like what if you did it from the perspective of, of the wife? You know, and you saw that story because, yeah, it's it's so interesting, like with especially with something like that, we think that there are that what we have to see are, oh, we need to see these sequences in it. We need to see these sequences in it. We need to see these kinds of scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are we saying that this is more important of a scene to put in it than than this one is? Like, aren't they all somewhat equally important? Like if you tell it well... You know, and it's like, and, and there's meaning to it all and yeah. there's a good story to it Then it doesn't really matter what you, what you show. No. You know, some of the, there's lots of great films where, you know, like you would conventionally think of them as, as turning into action films and they just, they're, that's actually a very small part. Yeah. So I wish I could think of an example of it, but I can't think of some of it, but I'm sure there's many, many numbers of them where you're just like, wow, there actually wasn't even that much action in this film that's traditionally an action-heavy type of genre. Right. And it was actually a very plot-driven story character, you know? And then when that happens, there's it's so much more important, you know? There's so much at stake. Totally. Well, sometimes it's as simple as just switching the genre around a little too. Like, so, uh, you know, and I've showed you a bit of this, but... Um, I'm teaching this class right now on building proof of concept, which is basically in the sci-fi world and what's getting a lot of movies made right now is you prove a concept, you prove the world, you prove, and, and, and by doing this, you create basically a script um, that 
will show the visual world and will give you an experience of either enough action and wow or enough mystery and curiosity that you want to know more. And it's kind of a mix of the two and some are more on one end and some are more on the other. Right. And so they really have realized as I've gone through this process, they really only fall into one of two genres. And sometimes they'll go into the others, but let me explain. So there's action and there's thriller. And that's where most of these movies that you prove a concept get made. And I'll tell you why. Because there's really five genres and then there's subgenres beyond that. Yeah, we were talking about that last week. Yeah. Yeah. So there's action, comedy, and horror, right? And then there's thriller and action. So drama is all about internal struggle. So so just because you do an action or just because you do a thriller does not mean you're not going to have drama. It just means that if my genre is thriller or my genre is action that what I'm selling people on and why people are going to see the movie is for the thrill or for the action. Yeah. And those are different. Um, I guess it's what you're putting your focus on, really. Right. Yeah. And so then there's drama. And then comedy is obviously, um, you know, about getting people to laugh and having a good time and making light of something. It could be dramatic. It could be silly. But it's about finding the fun in it. Horror is about creating fear and, and scaring and whatever. Thrill, thrill is different than action because it's all about, it's really about mystery and curiosity and uncovering. It's, uh, it's basically taking the narrative, it's, it's taking the narrative and having secrets, really. That's what yeah. you're doing. Action is a very, just about the physical conflict that's going on in the world, right? So if you think about drama, it doesn't, uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of soapbox here. All right. Okay. Drama, the reason why you wouldn't prove that, the reason why you wouldn't make like some seven minute proof or something for your drama is because if you did that and there was no name actress attached, it's kind of pointless because if you wanted to get name actress attached, which is going to get a big movie made, um, you would just go and get them the script. You know, really, there's no point in trying to make some thing, right? Unless you're going to make a short film and then win a bunch of awards and maybe then you can get some notice. I don't know. But there's just no point. You might as well just make a short film if you're going to do anything or just write the feature or make the feature, right? right? When it comes to horror, well, horror doesn't have to have name actors. So you could do a proof of concept. But the thing with horror is they don't want to put a lot of money into horror. The, horror, the whole idea with horror is make it as cheap as possible. It can sell as much as possible. And it's not really so much about the big blockbuster budget, right? Because the proof of concept, the only reason why you're proving it is so you can get that big blockbuster budget. You can get many millions behind it. You might do it with horror. It's very on the fence. Then there's comedy. Well, you could do comedy, but it has to be absolutely hilarious. And even then, really what you would need to do is you would need to get big time comedian attached. So in some sense, there's almost no point in really doing a proof of concept for a comedy. So you almost cut those three yeah. out, right? Now you're left or again, with... you just shoot it. Right. You, would just, you yeah. just shoot it. So now you're left with thriller or action. And so basically with action, if you make a proof of concept with action, what you want to do is you want to show the physical world. You want to prove the world. You want to show all the visual effects, wow them, amaze them, action sequence, car chases, you know, all that cool stuff. If it's more thriller, what you want to do is you want to hint at what would happen if we were to be exposed to this world, you know, I showed you that uh, proof of concept bait, for example, right, right, which is all about if you know, what if this world existed, and it, and it sets it up, so we want to know more. And so you get this drive, because it has all these secrets, like we don't know anything when you watch that proof, right? Yeah. And so really, things break down into those two elements when you're when you're doing this. Um, and, 
what, what the heck was my point in the beginning? Um, was that... Uh, well, there's only a few that you really do a proof of concept of. Yeah, well, um, well, oh yeah, that's what it is. So whenever you're making a movie, right, if you want to switch the genre, just know the demands of the genre. So like, if, if say, because originally like we had a horror movie that was really a thriller. So the problem is, is we're trying to generate fear, but we were doing it um, we're doing it with setting it up like a thriller and it doesn't work. Right. But if people go to see a thriller, what they want is they want mystery. They want secrets. They want to uncover things. They want to explore the narrative. Yeah. Right. If people go to a horror, they want to be scared. They want to, you know, they want to see slasher. They want to see, maybe they want to see sex. There's certain demands. If you see action, what you want to see is like fast and furious. You want to see big car chases, action sequences, whatever. And so, my whole point is that I don't know if you remember there was a movie that was made with Jake Gyllenhaal and it was um, it was a military movie and it was called Jarhead. Oh, I haven't seen Jarhead, but okay. I I do know of it. Well, it's basically um, it's basically a military it's a military military drama. Okay, so but it was marketed as a military action movie. And it was, it was brought to you with all these wow visuals of smoke coming out of these oil wells and soldiers walking along with guns. And you kind of thought, hey, this is going to be really exciting. It's going to be like the next platoon or something. But then you went and saw it and they're basically on base the whole time. And they're dealing with those interpersonal struggles, which is fine. It's actually a really good movie that way. But it was marketed like an action. And then right. it didn't do as well because basically action buffs went to it and were disappointed. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so no, that's, it's, that, that's the thing is that at the end of the day, you still got to market the movie and you got to think about who's the audience I'm tailoring this movie to. That's my soapbox speech. <laughs> well, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, no, I, I can think of all sorts of films that I thought like, you know, they got, they didn't. And that's, and that's the trouble when you're also, that could come back to integrity, I guess. Um, but sometimes you see a film that's been marketed a certain way and then it doesn't deliver that. And people are suddenly very disappointed. The film kind of bombs because people are like, oh, because, you know, you set up this expectation that it was this thing and then it's not this thing. Exactly. And then now you're you're going to suffer for it in the long run. Right. A uh, few films that I can... They do it a lot with um, with comedies. Or, so, well, I guess, uh, just to give an example, like one of the movies, and I know a lot of people are divided on this one, but uh, a film that I thought was really quite good, had a lot of heart to it, was, um, Adventureland. Oh, Adventureland. Yeah. That's the, is that the zombie? No, 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 that's Zombieland. Oh, Zombieland, but okay. But <laughs> both of those movies had, um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh. Oh, Adventureland, I remember. Yeah. yeah it's it's like, like, it's like a dramedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like about, like, being in this, like, amusement park, working there for the summer, and, like, a kind of a coming-of-age story. Yeah. And... I, I really enjoyed it. Like it, it was, um, it was a movie that obviously had a lot of, a lot of heart in it. Mm-hmm. Like it had a very personal feel to it, but I remember they marketed that film because like, even on the cover of it, like they were saying, it's like from the director of super bad. Yeah. Right. And everybody in right. the, and even in the, in the trailers for it, it was like, it's this outrageous comedy. Mm. And then you go and you see it and it was actually this very, kind of introspective dreamlike look at you know passing you know passing youth with funny yeah. bits in with it. funny bits in it yeah like definitely some very funny bits in it yeah. you know 
But that wasn't what the movie was. You know, that would be like marketing Juno, for example, as this outrageous, super bad comedy. It's really funny, but if you think about it, Juno is the epitome of like one of the perfect dramedies made in, yeah. in, in of late, right? Same with Little Miss Sunshine and same with Garden State. And there's a reason why those did so well, because part of it, you're right, is the way they market it. They marketed the heart of it. And I think, you know, when I think about Adventureland, yeah, it's a dramedy as well. And, you know, they say that dramedy, which is kind of this new, it's a new subgenre. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's actually a very modern day subgenre. It's where you take um, mostly drama and about... 30 to 35%, 40% comedy, and you inject it into the drama to make the drama fun and light. It's not, it's not more comedy. And the problem is, is when they market a dramedy as a comedy, there's a problem because people who want to see comedy and they want to laugh out loud and they want that super bad experience, for example, um, they, they expect those big outrageous things. But a dramedy has kind of outrageous things, but it has it like under the under the kind of guise of like this is a really dramatic situation this is a very heartfelt situation yeah. and i think that you know um they say that dramedy is one of the hardest ones because it's a way it's a it's a niche audience and that's why they're usually independent because right. the reason why is that you have a comedy audience and you have your drama audience so if you think about your drama audience there are people who go to see oscar films and like the big stuff big names best acting right uh comedy People want the outrageous, laugh out loud, wedding crashers, super bad situation. Now you're trying to take those two audiences and you're finding a middle ground. So you're only going to get some of the comedy and some of the drama people and they're going to come together. And the thing is, is if these people really like it and they spread the word, that's usually why a dramedy does really well. Right. But not the same as like an action movie. If you market an action movie, there's a massive group of people that love action movies and they don't even need to tell each other about it because we see the trailer and the trailer does enough. With the dramedy, it doesn't quite work that way. So it's it has an interesting... Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite genres, though. Me too. It's probably my... Actually, my <laughs> favorite genre. Yeah. Subgenre is the dramedy. Yes. You know, I, it's to me, it's, it's the genre that, at least for me, it, it speaks the most about life. Yeah. To me, you know? It's like it's it, it pokes fun at, you know the stuff that we take so seriously, but also doesn't also shy away from, from the things that we truly deal with mm. as well, which is like why, I don't know. I love that genre. Mm-hmm. I love to make people laugh and cry and, and at least the, attempt to do that, right. you know, to, to take people through a whole gamut of, of what really living entails. Well, and I, you know, what's interesting is I, I'm suddenly Judd Apatow just came to my head because, you know, he was, involved with a lot of like the really big straight up comedies that have been so iconic like yeah. uh anchorman i don't think he directed it but he was heavily involved with that one okay. or maybe he did direct that one for some reason i think it was adam Mc- it might have been adam mckay you continue i'll be um, our researcher and uh <laughs> and then there was also 40 year old virgin i know he directed that one okay um but he's done and knocked up but even that was a sign for him too. Like knocked up was, it was like it was, it was very like, funny. But suddenly there was to go towards it started dramedy. to go in towards yeah. dramedy. And then he did this is forty. He did um, funny people. And again, funny people was one that was marketed as a comedy. And then you went and saw funny people. <laughs> that and that was total dramedy. Total dramedy. Yeah. But I loved it. 
mm-hmm. know, wasn't what I thought I was going to get when I saw it, but I, I got on board with it, like, once I realized what it was. Right. And, you know, but again, yeah, it's like, it shows, like, you you can almost make your audience feel like they've been betrayed if you don't, if you're not honest about what you are from the get-go. Right. You know, it's interesting because for, you know, and this is something I've uh, discovered as I've gone through this process, um, it, especially uh, just learning how to help people write their scripts because a lot of the time, you know, they'll hire me, they'll hire me as a secondary writer in a way it's, I, lo- I love the job. I have a, a great reward, but I'll, I'll be like one of those guys for the, this part of my career. If I continue to do this where you'll never know my name, but I'll always know I was a part of that. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things where you, where you kind of just, you know, you just let it be what it is. But, um, anyway, as I learned to help people with their stories, um, one thing I've realized is that with a dramedy, you have, uh, you need to, you need to have a very like interpersonal challenge. That's like such a really important part of it. But then you need to take that interpersonal challenge and you make it light. That's why like, for example, Juno was such a successful, um, uh, dramedy because it takes teen pregnancy, but then it does it in a fun way where we can laugh at it, but still feel. So it's not so heavy. It takes the lightness, puts the lightness into it, but we're still dealing with the issue. If you take um, Little Miss Sunshine, also extremely successful. I want to mention three because there's okay. three, three of my favorite dramedies ever made. Another one is Little Miss Sunshine. Okay, she needs she this little girl wants to go to this pageant, right? Which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but here's the real thing about it is this little girl is not the most pretty, beautiful, typically commercially beautiful little girl. That's the real issue. That It, it touches on women's issues about beauty and the demands on it and who, who they are as a person. And it's, family too. Exactly. Yeah. In such a powerful way. And then we get to look at it light, lightly and we almost get to rise above this social issue we have. Another one, uh, Garden State. I don't want to ruin it for you, but there's a situ- situation with his mom. And he's responsible for it. And then he has this big monologue by the fireplace. I don't know if you remember where he shares it's what actually happened. It's been a while since I've watched it, but I should really watch it because I love Garden State. Yeah, it's amazing. But anyway, I don't want to ruin it for people who are going to watch this movie. But basically, his what happened to his mother and her death and, and life she lived, he had a lot of responsibility. And it's a really dark thing. And you don't realize this until really late into the movie what actually happened. But it's like all about this kind of like, um, we make mistakes in life. And sometimes those mistakes we make, you know, we're very innocent, but they can cause a lot of damage. And so, you know, his whole life has been medicated because of this. And like, and this guilt that he's, that he feels. Yeah. You don't think that's present in our, in our world today about how people have guilt and they medicate themselves. These are why these movies are so amazing. They touch on real life issues, but they make them light enough that we can look at them and not be weighed down by them. Well, I think that, yeah, because I, I think when, with the, with the comedy does, the beauty of comedy and, and, and being able to laugh about something is that it opens us up. Yeah. It opens us up. So, like, then when you get to see the real of, of something, something very, um, something that can be truly damaging and very difficult and challenging, you know, we can open up to us and we can empathize, mm-hmm. you know, like we can really, we can really try something on and, and connect to something, but that comedy sort of allows us to do that. Right. You know, like it, it, to be able to laugh at ourselves and our problems and our struggles in a way 
I don't know. It's the and I guess it's probably why it is one of those very difficult genres because you it, it is this weird line yeah. to walk. You, you know why it is such a hard and I've thought about this a lot, Evan. Is that the reason why it's such a hard genre to write? Is that not only do you have to know how to be funny as a writer, you have to also be willing to feel as a writer. And I'll tell you one thing: I've worked with a lot of people. I've helped a lot of people write screenplays at this point, and I've written a lot myself. And feeling is one of the hardest things to do. And that's why, you know, dr- they say drama, in a sense, is the easiest to write, but the hardest to execute well. And dramedy is even harder than that, because not only do you have to execute on the drama, you have to also find the funny in it and bring the lightness. It's, it's like, you know, like they say comedy is the hardest of the genres to write, period, because humor is one of those things that takes a massive amount of intelligence and it also takes a huge awareness and a sense of like what's funny and why and and there's a timing to it there's a whole magic to and comedy also changes right you know you sometimes you look back at a lot of these old movies that you thought were the funniest things when they came out now you watch it and you go that's dated yeah like ace ventura for example i loved it when i was a kid yeah i mean and there is still a certain appreciation that you can have for it and and still laugh like i i watched the austin powers movies the all three of them uh earlier this year and it had been years since i've watched them and they didn't have the same quite the same punch as they did when like I was you know in like school and watching them and and but there was there's still an absolute brilliance about them that I cannot deny because I've there's still nothing like there's been nothing like that since yeah have you seen anything like Austin Powers no no that it was uh, it, it's brilliant it's actually brilliant it but is. still the jokes are kind of like you laugh but it's not the same because you've already heard you've already heard and seen the joke well that's the thing with comedy is they say that comedy is it it, it it hits a pleasure center because every time we we get something like a new joke we've never heard before it's brand new to us but the moment that we've experienced it it's never new to us again. And so that the thing is, is comedy is built upon a whole foundation of comedy. And so like comedy is always changing because we're always adding to the pile because everything we've seen before becomes dated. It literally does. It, yeah. it, does, it doesn't access the pleasure center the same way anymore. Um, like uh, co- comedy, and, and, and this is really good for those writers out there who want to learn how to write comedy. Comedy is actually the epitome of teaching someone something new. If you teach someone something new, they have a profound experience. It will hit their pleasure center. They will awaken. Their body will go, wow. That's why we like to read books. We like to learn. We like to do stuff like that because it actually accesses a bit of our pleasure center and we, we uncover. When you read something and you think you already know everything you're reading, how fun is that? Not fun, right? But if you're reading something and it's all brand new to you and this is all, and you're interested in what's new to you, you will love the book. So comedy is the same way. In a way we teach. So I think like, I look at like sitcom writers, they're always rewriting their jokes. They're always upping it and upping it and upping it. Cause you know, you could write a draft one day and then you almost, at the time you're writing it, it's funny to you, but then you bounce yeah. it against the world and you realize, wow, this humor that I thought was funny, isn't funny to everybody else because yeah. 
it's not new to them. It was only new to me. And it's also tricky because it's like, well, just because those people didn't laugh at it doesn't necessarily mean it's not funny. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like sure. for me, for me, comedy is about perspective. Mm-hmm. It's about, but it is still about do like doing something new, but that is about having, it's all about having a fresh perspective and a take on something. Again, it's like, you can tell a joke that has been told a hundred times before. How many jokes have we heard about the difference between the sexes or, you know, like, you know, just how many times have we heard this joke, but we continue to hear it reinvented Mm -hmm. and someone has a somewhat different take that's, you know, like standups will show you like a great new standup comedian. You watch them and they, and they touch on some of the same subject matter, but they've got this weird angle on it. Yeah that you've never thought of before. Right. You know, and it's from their perspective. They've got this weird sort of way of seeing something. And I think that's important in doing comedy. It's like, you've got to have a perspective on it, like some kind of an original concept. You can't rewrite a joke that's already been done and just throw it back. It doesn't work because it'll be like, I've seen this before. That's why so many shows fail after pilot seasons because there's so much stuff that's just rehashing like a almost a direct rehashing of something that's already been done. Yes. And it's like, no, you've got to find the original thing. And the other, actually a few weeks ago, I saw there's a couple of shows that I saw. I don't watch very much TV anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much entirely streaming content now, but there's a couple of shows that I saw on TV and they were back to back. And there was one with um, uh, John Stamos. I think it's called uh, Grandfathered mm-hmm. or something. And then there was another one called, um, it was right after it, with Rob Lowe. Okay. And oh, I think it's called The Grinder. That's what it's called. It's called The Grinder. Okay. And I was like, wow. Like two really, I would encourage people to give it a watch and give them a chance because it took me a while to like kind of grab onto it, especially, uh, grandfathered, but completely awesome comedies, like really, truly awesome. I've never seen anything like it kind of comedies, like reminiscent of some things, but it's doing this whole sort of thing of it on its own that mm. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is really quite great writing. Hmm. It's hard to discuss it with you because you know, yeah, okay. you haven't seen it, but definitely check them out. You know, I love this discussion because, I mean, this is, this just touches right back to artistic or creative integrity, um, is to just, you know, and we're talking about comedy today and I find that's interesting, but the thing is, is that we're talking about how creative integrity or artistic integrity actually is what makes comedy work, you know, because if you think about it, if uh, we take your point that you brought up in the beginning of this conversation, which is that doing something new and original and finding that and not just copying what everyone else is doing, really, that's the key to being funny. So if you want to, you know, what I'm taking from all this is as, as we discuss this, I'm realizing, yeah, like if you want to be funny in your writing, if you want to be a comedy writer, you want to achieve that, you need to look for artistic integrity. You need to look for that originality in you and something new, your own perspective and take it in a way that's never been done before. Um, and I'm, I'm finding, I'm I just, as we're discussing is the, 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 it's, it's, it's the balls are dropping for me to just realize the yeah, balls like, are dropping. The, the, I don't know the shoe. Uh, what, what's dropping? 
the um the um the hammer the hammer's dropping the hammer drops yeah the hammer drops is we sh- I feel like we should be able to terrible know. sexual context things. Right? Really? I don't know if it's as bad as the as ball dropping. What's in this beer, man? <laughs> it's the Belgians. Yeah, it's the Belgians. Let's blame them. Um, you know, I, okay, so I wanted to talk about one other thing while we're while we're on this comedy comedy run. Say so, so my first script that I ever wrote, which actually got me to be a filmmaker and a storyteller. I was 16 and it was just for fun. It wasn't for anything other than to have fun. And I think that's why it ended up being as original and kind of playful as it was. Because I didn't, wasn't trying to please anybody, but have a good time making a film with my friends. It was called Freaky Movie. It's the first film I ever made. It's eight minutes long. And in, it was, and everybody thought it was really hilarious. And they said, you know, Brandon, you need to put this into this little festival. And I said, okay, well, sure, let's do it. And I walk up to this festival and they're like, you're going to have to present your film because every, everyone had to present their thing. And I'm 16 years old and there's 300 people in the audience and I walk up front and I'm just like, whoa, like this is just like nothing I ever expected. And yeah. I'm like, hope you enjoy it and whatever. And you know, I'm all nervous and I go to the back and I watch and I'm basically shaking. <laughs> and as the movie plays, everyone in the audience is howling with laughter and we end up winning the thing. You know, I got first. Huh. Yeah. And, 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 and it wasn't even, I didn't even care that I won. It didn't even matter to me. But watching everyone have this experience was yeah. the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced in my life, yeah. at least to that date, for sure. And I walked away from that and said, I, I have to do this. I yeah. have to be a filmmaker. I have to be a storyteller. I feel like th- I've just found it. And so anyway, I had this success. And then later... I started writing comedies. I started writing more comedies. I had a few little successes, but I had a roommate point out to me that my comedy was like a slow burn and that not, not the, not the original freaky movie that I had written, but a lot of the stuff I had been writing, it was Mm -hmm. this slow burn and he wasn't a filmmaker or anything, but he pointed out to me a really valuable lesson. And I think this is really good for comedy writers is that, you know, there's laugh out loud funny. And then there's kind of like, I'm smiling and giggling to myself funny. And there's also kind of corny funny and there's different types of funny, right? And so I think when you're, when you're, when you're developing your comedy, you want to kind of not just look at funny as this, it's funny or not. You want to look at like, okay, it's funny or it's not funny, but it's funny in various different ways. Like, why is this funny? Right? Cause there's funny, like there's dad joke funny, which is like corny, you know, and like almost like silly. And you know, in a way you're like, Oh, that was almost stupid. You know what I mean? But there's funny, like super bad where something so outrageous happens where you laugh out loud and you're like surprised you even laugh yeah. out loud, you know? And there's, there's slow burn humor, which is like, that was really witty and clever, but, and it makes me kind of giggle. But it's not really like, you know, and I think you need to yeah. keep a pulse on this if you're comedy. But it, it is very, it's also, it's very tricky though, too, because, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. I don't think it was Mark Twain. Maybe it was Mark Twain. But he said, you know, once you define, once you define comedy, once you define a joke, you kill it dead. Oh, really? And I thought that was always very interesting because there is something that I agree to it because be, Comedy is, I don't know if comedy is necessarily, uh, entirely a construct of the mind. What do you mean? Well, I, 
because I feel like we just went deep right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just I just dropped a ball in this one. Uh, <laughs> Let's call it a bomb. Um, <laughs> hey, we um, found that funny. So <laughs> anyway, go on. But it's it's like because I don't feel like you can scientifically just construct a joke. You know, I feel like there's something. And I mean, and this is just something that I feel about, about any artistic creative endeavor is whether people agree with me or not. I, I, I feel like creation comes from something is something that works through us as opposed to something that we, that we necessarily do ourselves. Um, and to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to write this joke, so I'm going to, you know, construct it in this way. Comedy is a feeling. A feeling? I think comedy is a feeling and an instinct, in a way. It doesn't mean that people can't learn it. It doesn't mean that people can't learn comedy. But I don't think that you can necessarily just break it down structurally and then write a joke out of that and expect it to be funny. I disagree. You disagree with but me. I agree that you're on to something which is a certain type of humor. But I don't but I think you're 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 limiting humor and I think that's the problem is that we try to understand humor and it's a much more expansive thing because you can by equation make a joke work. You just to play with expectation. For example, and this is whatever, a, a joke that many people have heard probably before at least whatever. It's old, but a man walks into a bar Ouch. Right? So you expect that he walks into the bar, but then the joke is, no, he actually walked into a bar. So it changes the whole expectation, changes the idea. You know what I mean? The thing is, is like, you can, you can put things together that way and you can do a whole bunch of variations of that equation. But okay, here's another thing. Let's talk about this. This is why it is not as simple as even an equation. And it is your feeling and it is a perspective. It's all of these things. Let's take Fight Club, for example. A lot of people think that that's an action movie or a drama. It's actually a dark comedy. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. And a lot of people in this movie bombed, if you don't know that, bombed literally in the box office. It did so terrible on its opening weekend and then its theater run. Critics tore it apart too. Because they didn't understand it. Yet, it is one of the, not arguably, at least at this point, the biggest cult classic movie that is pretty much around. And it's a brilliant movie. But the thing is, is that the dark comedy was the fact that we live in a, a society of materialism and we, we all have cancer and we're all dying and we, none of us can sleep and none of us are happy and whatever. And we're trying to find fulfillment through all this other stuff. And it brings us back to this very primal thing of like fighting and like manhood and like, what is that? And the thing is, is we're laughing in the beginning of the movie. If you're, if you're paying attention to the intelligence of the humor is that we're laughing at the fact that like this guy is is finding his sense of like life and and purpose through hanging out with people who are dying because yeah. it's giving him a certain amount of gratitude. Then, and you know, if you haven't seen Fight Club, tough. Yeah, know? I was gonna say it's like, if, you seen, if you haven't seen Fight Club, just, then screw it. You're getting spoilers this, because stop this <laughs> podcast right now. Watch Fight Club and then continue on the rest of this. We're at a minute and six. And then watch it. And then watch it again <laughs> in, a, in, a, in another in a month. Watch it again. Yeah, watch it again because um, you need to see it again just to take it all in. But anyway, my point was that um, 
you know, he, at one point, he basically, I mean, his house blows up. Whatever. I'm not ruining anything. His house blows yeah. up. And then he abandons all the material IKEA life that he had. And, like, it has this drama. It has this stuff. But the thing is, like, all this stuff that happens is actually really funny. But the thing is, if you get too serious about stuff, it, you know, and I think, like, now, people watch Fight Club and they get it. You know, people, audiences are attuned. Yeah. But you do know this. Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, and I read this in an interview, they said that they went to see the screening and they, they were sitting in one of the back balconies, like smoking a joint or something. And they were like, <laughs> and they were like, you know, this is probably the best movie we'll ever make. And they said everyone walked out of it and was just like, just their face was just like deadpan. They like didn't, didn't know what, they to, didn't think know what to think. And you know what? I remember they described that and I read that after. I was like, that's how I walked out of the theater when I first saw it. Cause I wasn't. What a great but, response to a film, by the way. Totally. That's a, that, that's a win. <laughs> that's a win. Well, and, and, and for me, I remember walking out of that movie and going, I don't know if I like it or don't like it. I, I don't even know. I just remember being like, like kind of like my hair was blown back, you know? And it wasn't until about two or three weeks later where I was like, that movie was brilliant. And I started watching it over and over and over. And every time I watched it, it got better and better and better. And I was like, that was profound because, yeah. you know, um, you know, you think about that movie, can you imagine that movie wasn't made? Like that movie has, has altered history. It's yeah. like such a, any, anything, any film just for anybody. If you walk out of a film that leaves you kind of speechless and stupefied and you don't know whether you like it or don't like it, chances are you just watch something kind of brilliant yeah. for you. You watch something <laughs> kind of brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 it is, it's such a fantastic, fantastic film. And, and I, yeah, and it is a dark comedy. Like even the last, the last line in that movie is a joke. Yeah. It's like, cause he says, she says to her at the end, you caught me at a very strange time in my life. (laughs) Like such a, (laughs) see, you're still laughing about it. It's such a great joke. I know. Like at the end of it, because it's just. Cause yeah, like, and, and to get back onto it, it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that, um, I feel like you cannot, um, the initial creation point of a joke cannot begin from a technical place. Well, does that, does that make sense? Like, I I, I, I feel like when people say cannot, I always go, "Eh, all right. Okay. Well, cause it's like always and never. It's like, let's let, like, like most of the time I could, I could agree with that. Most of the time, if you try to start from, from an equation or, or from whatever, it's probably going to be too thought out, you know, but it's like, um, I think, okay, continue on. Yeah. Okay. So like, to me, it's like, like law, uh, like like creation is, is almost like a law of the universe Mm -hmm. in a way to me. So it's like, you know, like a joke, you can, you can make it better by crafting it. Absolutely. Like you can put your mind to it and you can be like, oh, you can change a word here. You can change the way that this moves here and you make it better. But where did that joke come from? Where did that perspective come from? It's got to be original. Mm -hmm. It can't come because it can't come from a place that's contrived from something that you've already seen before necessarily. Eventually at some point, even if you start from that place, it's like, okay, I'm going to do that. Eventually at some point you have to have a uh, uh, part of creation, an original part that steps in in order to make a good joke work. Right. You know, on a pure technical level, 
just pure, a pure technical form, I don't believe can make a great joke from start to finish. At some point, something else has to step in to make a great joke. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I remember, (laughs) I remember my, my dad, when I was a little kid, my dad and and I and my family, whatever, we were in like some restaurant, hard rock cafe or somewhere traveling Canada. Um, but I remember, uh, I saw the shirt and I thought it was really funny. I was a little kid, so it was probably a silly little joke. And so I was like, that was really funny. And then I, I tried to make up a shirt that I would print. Right. And, and it was really a complicated joke. And I remember my dad going, you know, simple is often more funny than the complex thing. And so I think that humor, sometimes if you think it out too much, you make it too complicated. It's oftentimes a very simple thing, you know? And it's a thing of like, one thing I found is like, people who tend to be really funny were people who take risks. They try and, and sometimes, and more often than you might think, they, they did a joke and it didn't work and they tried again and they tried again until they started to learn the feel for funny. Because people who never are willing to try and make a joke and bomb tend to not be as funny. But when you, you know, and I've, I've, you know, you know, when you like think of a joke and someone does something and you think, oh, I should say that, but now you've hesitated and then you say it and it's too late. It's not funny anymore. But sometimes you just, you just go with it. You just say it in the moment. You don't think about it. You just say it and it's hilarious. And so it's so funny because comedy too has this kind of timing to it and it has this immediacy. And if you, if you hesitate and you think it out too much, it just gets too complex. It gets, it, it misses its moment. Yeah. And that moment is like, is very fine, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it comes down to, and it's with any creative thing. It doesn't necessarily, it, it applies to comedy. It applies to, to drama it applies to, you know, it, it's, it's about any creative thing. It's got to have, you've got to have your most unfiltered voice to it in Mm -hmm. a way. I feel like that's what a big part of the creative process is, is really getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we have, we have what our voice is and then we run it through so often. Like at the, at the beginning, I feel like this filter of everything that we've seen before, everything we've been told before. I'm like, oh, this is what's funny. This is what's dramatic. This is what's scary. This is what's thrilling, right? Like we, like, so we have this, but it's all a construct. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily true. Yeah. Right. And it's about removing as much of that as possible to Mm -hmm. me. It's not being neglectful of it. You know, being aware of what's been done is an important thing, but at the end of it, I feel you still, it's the, your biggest job is to keep your voice as pure as possible in whatever your work is Hmm. and wherever you're focusing that. Well, you know, I always say like when I, when I write a first draft, I mean, uh, of a script, I, I, I don't think too much about it. I, I, I write and I find that when I write good day, bad day, whatever I write. And I find that by just simply doing it, you come up with something authentic because if you're willing to spill your guts on the page, you might hate it in the moment, but I've, I've written stuff where I've thought, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm the best writer in the world. And then I look at it later. And I'm like, 
what was I thinking? This is so stupid. Like, this is like, not stupid, but it's just not special. And then there's been moments where I've written <laughs> and I've just been like, this is the worst crap I've ever written in my entire life. Like, honestly, I'm embarrassed. I'll never show anybody. And I think that during the day and I'm like, whatever I wrote it, I don't care. I'm moving on. And then I'll, I'm like, I'll go back tomorrow and I'll rewrite that. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, but I wrote it today. So whatever. And then I'll read it sometimes a day later, sometimes a few days later. And I'll be like, moved and I'll be like whoa I I exposed something there that was really special and that's probably why I felt so uncomfortable at the time and I decided it was crap because I think sometimes when we write stuff that we don't like and it, you know it's it's we're exposing some kind of truth about ourselves. and sometimes we write stuff we don't like and we really don't like it and that's fine yeah but I think what the important thing is I think is part of what we're talking about here with the comedy too you just try it out you just try it out you can always go back but the thing is is you know when we talk about writing we're always talking about, this is a blank page, you know what I mean? And life is a blank page, you know? And as we go through life, we're, you know, we, it's better to put something on the page than just kind of not put anything, you know? I mean, maybe it doesn't work out, but you know what? You win some, you lose some, you're only going to get better, you know? You're only going to start to figure out what doesn't work, you know? And eventually, as you figure out enough of what doesn't work, and you can start to acknowledge, okay, this didn't work, I can try something else, you know what I mean? Um, and I also like, you know, it's interesting cause I mean, I've been writing now for, I guess, 16 years. I've been writing screenplays for 16 years. And I look back at some of the stuff I wrote when I was in like my late teens and early twenties. And I didn't really know much about screenwriting back then, you know, but I'll pull out scripts now and then I'll be like, wow, there's some stuff in here that's really, really special because I had that 18 year old perspective, that 19 year old's eye on life and there's some real truth in there and I find like now where I'm at in my life it's like I don't I get that but I'm not there anymore so I think it's it's I'm just so happy that I wrote that stuff down because now everything is kind of a replication a a, a memory of where I was but at the time I was exposing my guts as I wrote that and there's some writing that I have that I think I learn almost from writing I've done in the past. And it, I, 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 it's almost like if someone changed the name on that writing and I never remembered that I wrote it, I'd almost be like, yeah, someone else wrote this. Because in a way, like 10 years ago plus, I was like a different person. I've grown so much since then. So I think like wherever any writer is today, we should, we should all or we could all consider just write it down. Don't worry about yeah. it. There's something in you right now that is almost it's, 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 it's like you, there's no replicating it. It's whatever it is. And the thing is, there's a certain vulnerability that when it gets spilled on the page, I don't know if you can ever, I think you can replicate it, but I don't know if you can ever expose that same vulnerability, you know, like, for example, I mean, this is a silly little thing, but like we all as writers can, can remember when I was like, I don't know, for some of us who are early bloomers and later bloomers, whatever, 12, 15, whatever, somewhere in there, maybe we're nine, but you know, I want this girl to really like me. Right. And thinking about how nervous you were and how scared you were to talk to her or, uh, you know, reverse, um, you know, young girl talking to a boy or whatever. And we all kind of relate to that. But if someone wrote that down while they were there and really exposed their truth, I mean, there's something more, there's something more vulnerable about that. And if they could, if they accidentally or did so on purpose, spilt that vulnerability onto the page, I mean, it's hard to even, it's, it's hard to even replicate that because there's something that's, 
unknown. It's like unpredictable. You know, like when you write this stuff, I find like when I wrote, even when I write stuff today, I think I'll look back at it another 10 years or another, especially like I think 30 years down the road, I'll look back and I'll be like, whatever right now, this is my truth right now. And every time, every day that passes is only a memory of this truth. You know, every year that passes, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's the, that's part of this artistic yeah, in, I, integrity, you know? I, I think that's great. I mean, there's a great lesson there. Like, in terms of just, yeah, write it now. Write it now. Like, yeah, well, like, when I think of, um, you know, my my first sort of, like, full feature feature film script um, on the highway. Yeah. You know, I I think about that. It's like, I don't know if I could write that now. I don't, like, I was, like, I wrote that in a certain place in time, and I'm not in that place in time anymore, and... It's like, you know, I can tweak it, I can redraft it to a degree, I I suppose, but Yeah. I'm not like to to start and write that from the beginning, you know, I I don't know if that's that's in me. That's not and again, it's like it's about moving on to what whatever's next. What's well, the you, next thing to do? Totally. And you know, we rewrote that script. I mean, we went down and we looked at it. I suppose mostly you rewrote it, but you know, I helped. <laughs> but anyway, um, the rewrite made it, enhanced it and made it better. But the thing is, is what was it so important is you wrote the first draft, which gave us the base. Because the thing is, is like, um, I think that that's, that's the thing is like, if you look at a project as like, the day I write it is the end all be all, then you're, you're never going to write anything. Cause you're always going to try to like, be like, oh, it's not good enough and whatever, you know, like we wrote tag when we wrote it and we talked about that in the last blog. That was like our first script together. And I think, you know, that might be made into something, whatever. And if we do do the rewrite that we planned for that script, I'm sure it'll be a lot better. But what's great is we have that base. We understood that at the time we wrote it. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine us really sitting down right now and writing tag from like, no, it's not going to happen. No, right? it wouldn't make any sense. But I, you know, it's one of the- <laughs> But we were, we were not far off from being, you know, high school graduates and stuff. And so we were still very connected to that time in our life. You know what I mean? And I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think like, it's probably a good time to like close this podcast. Yeah, off, I think but, so. But I think that's the thing. I think if, if there's anything, you know, any lesson that I could leave people with today, I'd say just write it today. You know, if you're thinking about a script, you got a story, just sit down and write it, find some time and write it down because it's, it's a lot better because every, every day, these ideas, they're fleeting, you know, and you move on to something new and it's better to just write it and write it to completion and then put it on a shelf. If you want, put it on a shelf for 10 years, doesn't matter, Yeah. but write it and then move on and don't expect it to be perfect. Yeah. Cause it's going to help trust you. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Trust it. Yeah. Because you can, that's the thing. It's like, if you don't like something, when you truly go back to, it, you don't like it you can change it. Yeah. But you've, it's, it's there. Yeah. It's, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to create out of, out of thin air anymore. Well, you know, the, you know, the other thing too, is like, uh, getting a writing agent and all that stuff. The, the whole, like the whole way you do that really is you just need three scripts, right? You need three features written that are half decent. And so if you just started writing scripts today and, uh, you know, I don't think a script needs to take longer than a, than a month because, you know, maybe two months if, if you want to take it slow. For, for a first draft, you yeah. mean? Yeah, for a first draft, whatever. Yeah. But if you think about it, you could write in one year, you could easily write three scripts, you know, 
I mean, easily, no problem, you know, and you just wrote, write three scripts, three different stories you want to tell, write them 90 pages, whatever, and you might not get a writing agent that year, but the next year you can revise those or you can write a couple more scripts or whatever you want to do, but by the time you get through a few scripts, you're a pretty good writer, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the first, like, so many people I talk to, like, they, they write their first script and they want it to be so perfect, and it's like, you know, it might be, but... You know what? If your first one's probably great, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But if your first one's great, what I've experienced because I've I've helped a few people write their first, their second is a bomb, and they don't know how to deal with it. You know, I just plan like, okay, I'm writing this script. This is the story I want to tell. It might totally bomb, but I'm gonna try it. And the thing is, is I look at it that way. Is like at least if you just write it, otherwise it's just an idea. Yeah. It's just something you talk about. And yeah, and but also to write, write a story that you really want to write. Yeah that that's that's what's so important you know like write something that really speaks to you that you really feel like yeah I want to tell this story you know because if you start from that place then in my mind there's only so wrong you can go yeah you know if you understand if you know if you have a vision if you know what it is that you're trying to do and and you do it like how how far off base can you really be with it how well, how much can you really fail you can't really fail. No, you raise such a great point, you know, and um, as I've been getting like hired to write scripts and paid, like, you know, eventually when you start making money, you're going to go through your, which I call it the valley of screenwriting. It's the, it's the point where you start to kind of be working unless you maybe jump, you know, you kind of write that magical screenplay and you jump. And if you did, lucky you, uh, you know, yeah. it didn't happen to me for me yet, but um, you, you know, getting even still, even if you did, I mean, most screenwriters, if you look at their statistics for screenplays sold that have made to major movies, it's like one, two, three. Some people have done like several, but for the most part, some people get writing on TV shows, but for some point, you're probably going to write a script where you're going to get hired for that you're not going to really be as passionate about. So right now, before you're a hired writer, yeah, write what you want. You know, why not? Like, write some stuff that you want and then at least you know you've always done that and then when you start getting paid as a writer and you do all that stuff and you're writing for other people and what they want you'll always have like okay I know what it's like to write what I want and you won't have spent your whole career writing what everyone else wants you to write yeah yeah and you might find some ways to write what you want within that anyhow exactly well it informs what you yeah yeah it informs it so it's been great we should um but we should probably wrap it up let's wrap it up um okay so Anyway, uh, tune in for next week, next podcast, or whatever, or don't. (laughs) We'll We'll be here talking and drinking beer regardless. (laughs) Drink some beer with us. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Till next time. Till next time. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.